You know, little senses fail to start us up. The song's only like 18 years old, no big deal. But it's uh, chaotic, and we're going to be talking about some chaotic times today. So uh, it just kind of seemed to make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. Um, so, you know what? Let's just jump right into it. So we're going to be talking about, you know, we just finished watching uh, Amistad. And um, you know, now we're going to talk about the pro-slavery, anti-slavery debate. Um, I know I had told uh, in class, I had spoken for whoever was listening, that we would be talking about Andrew Jackson. That'll be next week. Um, I figure uh, this just makes more sense since we just finished with Amistad. You know, I had a kid, uh, a student in my, one of my lab classes. That's a great question. He asked, uh, you know, why do we have to watch this stuff? Why do we have to watch people being treated so horribly? And uh, great question, right? Now, the lazy answer is... Oh, so we don't have history repeating itself. You know, that's so cliched and disgusting. Um, it's partially true, but, you know, it's just such an easy answer. Why really do we have to learn about these horrible things? Why do we have to uh, spend time in class watching, you know, gruesome, really, really hard to watch images and things like that? Well, the answer is, uh, is quite simple. And it's, um, it's really to, so that we can develop as a, as a society. Um, Ever since the ending of World War II, hopefully you learned about this in global history, uh, seeing the just absolute devastation uh, World War II had on human life has caused a change in warfare. Um, today, you know, people, wars are not fought the same way that they have been previously. Uh, it's, it's like we value life much more than we did then. And certainly much more than we did back uh, in the time of slavery. And uh, the way that people would be able to brutalize other human beings is just, it's horrible and horrendous. It's atrocious. And so that's why we teach it. So that people don't forget what happened. And as a reminder, and, and you know, I had a great, great, great uh, cooperating teacher when I was student teaching. And he would always say that if you're not getting mad in some kind of a degree then you're really not learning about history. And it's so true. Um, a lot of the history of all different nations around the world, um, it's a little bit rough sometimes. And uh, it's because hopefully we can you know, take from that that we have gotten better and uh, we do really have much more of an appreciation for life. But anyway, I don't want to babble on. By the way, the reason why I'm not in school, <laughs> I had dinner with my brother on Sunday. Seemed innocuous enough. Um, <laughs> and he tested positive yesterday. So, um, I was with him, we were together for a couple hours and, uh, and so, yeah, I've been told to, uh, to basically stay in my house. I am a threat to the health and well-being of other people. Uh, but I'm feeling fine, uh, if you can't tell. So, um, you know, hopefully he'll be all right. He's got, you know, some minor symptoms. Um, it's so funny. All of a sudden, everybody, oh, how's your brother? How's your brother? It's like everybody wants to just know, like, what's, what's, what's the Rona all about? And uh, he just has a really bad headache, uh, a little bit of a fever, and he's just tired a lot. But, um, you know, luckily he doesn't have some of the 
the uh, the the really bad symptoms thus far. Um, but anyway, I'm feeling great, and let's do a uh, let's talk about this. So pro slavery versus anti slavery. So we're going to look at people uh, from both sides, documents from both sides, and the argument from both sides. Now, please do not take this like, wow, Mr. Braun is for slavery. No, uh, if you know. As a teacher, our job by the time you get to 11th grade is to be able to have you understand uh, different viewpoints on something. Slavery existed in the United States. It sure as heck did. And so you have to be able to answer the question, why? Right? We now can look back and say, what a filthy institution. So then how did it ever happen? So that's what we're going to, to talk about, okay? It's not a defense of slavery as much as it is an explanation. So let's get into it. Okay, the pro-slavery argument. Pro-slavery argument. So hopefully you're following along, pro-slavery versus anti-slavery. Uh, Google Slides, and here we go. The arguments. Okay, it is mostly economic in nature. Slavery was something that had existed for a really, really long time, and it was a way for people to make a lot of money. You could buy a person back then in what would be our money, um, our value of money today, anywhere from around $2,000 to $15,000. So once you had purchased a slave, uh, then you would be able to use that person over and over and over year after year to work the fields, to create, to, to work in some sort of a service. Okay, uh, I've always used the analogy of a diner. I've said many times I would love to own a diner. Um, if I had 20 employees and they were all making $50,000 a year, I'd be paying a million dollars a year in wages. If I had 20 slaves, that million dollars would stay with me. So uh, it is really very economic in nature. This is, you know, it was a system that was created. They did not see themselves as being greedy. They saw it as taking advantage or just using a system that had always been there. Uh, slavery has, you know, the next argument is that slavery existed from the earliest civilizations. That's right. Thousands of years there had been slaves. And that is true, 100%. Um, it, it, it was one of the arguments that it was in the Bible Okay, they talked about slavery in the Bible, and they never really discussed the institution of slavery being immoral in the Bible. And so that's why a lot of Christians at this time, at this time, believe that slavery was all right. Uh, And then to end slavery would destroy the American economy. So the issue was that down south especially, um, there were so many people who were making money off of slavery, and if all of a sudden... Slavery ended. You had four and a half million slaves or thereabouts at the time of the Civil War. So the idea was that if you were to get rid of slavery, well, four and a half million people would now be free. How do you take care of them, one? And then what happens to all the service that they had done? If you had a plantation with 100 slaves working on it, where are you going to uh, be able to get that 100 people from, even if you were going to pay them? As I've said in class, we watched Amistad. In some states, South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, Mississippi, uh, there were more slaves than there were free people. So they were very afraid that it would destroy the American economy. It's kind of like today. You know, why don't they want to close schools for coronavirus? They don't want to close schools very simply because they, for, well, one, they say that it's, it's safer to be in school. Okay, fine. You know, that could be true. Um, but also because they don't want to hurt and injure the economy again, as happened last time. So we don't want to shut anything down. Just want people to be a little bit more careful, uh, I guess means you know, don't have dinner at your brother's house either. Crazy, crazy. Um, the people, 
John Calhoun, we saw him, did we not, in Amistad. Um, you know, a very, very, very well-known person. Uh, he had ascended as high as Vice President of the United States. Um, he was a Secretary of War. He was a Senator in South Carolina. And he was an ardent, ardent, or a very, very fierce backer of the institution of slavery. There's a man, George Fitzhugh, who wrote some articles, wrote a couple of books that we're going to talk about in a little bit, and then a group of people called the Southern Democrats, okay? They were also very fiercely for slavery. And of course, at the end of the day, the large plantation ones, right? The people who owned it. So let's look at this economic uh, argument, right? So here's a map of the United States, okay? Up north, what do we have here? Oh, it's a little factory, Fantastic. Okay. Up north, you have a lot of people who are going to be making money in industry, taking uh, textiles, taking raw materials and turning them into finished products. Where are they going to get these raw materials and the textiles from? From the south. So the idea is slaves are down south. They are picking cotton. Slaves are down south uh, cultivating all kinds of crops, rice, indigo, um, tobacco uh, in the early stages of the uh, slavery system. And then they would send them up north, right? So you send the cotton up north, and then the cotton is turned into a finished product, clothing. And then the clothing would then be sold all throughout the north and back down south. So the north, they'd be making more money because they would be able to... Um, to you know, sell them back to the south for a profit. So like, we have our two ships here, right? So we're going to have... Uh, basically, the ships would be moving, but for some reason right now, they're not, uh, from the south moving up north, and then the north going back down south. Okay. Now, let's look at a map of the world. So, ah, here we go. All right. We've got a bunch of boats. All right. What are these boats doing? Well, right, we have it here in the north, in the south. What is it that they are doing? They are conducting trade, conducting trade. Okay, conducting trade. Then our, our products, they're going to head out to Europe. They're going to head out to uh, all the different countries in Europe, Northern Europe, into the Mediterranean. And what do you have? You have all these ships then going back and forth and back and forth. The United States is making all this money. And what happens as soon as you end slavery? It all falls apart. All the ships are gone. Okay, there's no more trade. And the American economy would collapse. This was the argument. Again, for why this was happening. Now, talked a little bit about George Fitzhugh. Well, mentioned his name. So he writes a an article, okay, a book actually, called Cannibals All, where he defends slavery. And this is just an excerpt from it. All right? But it's part of your assignment. So uh, make sure you're you're focused in on this anyway. Uh, I know we're 11 minutes in. Don't I don't want to lose it. I don't want to lose it yet. Okay. So George Fitzhugh, what does he say? He says, but we not only boast that the white slave trade is more exacting and fraudulent. So, white slave trade? Say what? Okay, what's he talking about? Let's keep on going. In fact, though not in intention, then southern slavery. So he's saying white slaves are worse than southern slavery. Now, what white slave trade is he speaking of? Well, he is speaking of a new issue that was on the rise at this time, the 1830s. And that is immigrants coming and living in the northern cities, especially New York City and Boston. Okay, so you're going to have immigrants living in the cities. They are going to be working 18-hour days, all right? 
six days a week, barely able to afford, uh, a, you know, a place to stay, um, barely able to take care of their children. In fact, you learn about this in 10th grade with the Industrial Revolution. Uh, you probably learned about it happening in England. The same, the same was true in the United States. You would have kids had to go to work because they got paid so little. The parents did. So everybody had to go to work. So here's what he's saying. This is his argument. Okay. He says, but we also boast that it is more cruel. The white slave trade is more cruel. In leaving the laborer to take care of himself and family out of the little money he is allowed him to retain. When the day's labor is ended, so when his work is over, he is free. But he is overburdened with the cares of family and household, which make his freedom empty. So, <coughs> excuse me, in the first, oh no. <laughs> so in the first half of this uh, document here, he is defending southern slavery by talking about what he refers to as northern slavery which again is the new industrial system using immigrants to work long 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 days and he's saying that yeah sure you know they're free they can go they can leave right but they won't have no money they would not be able to take care of themselves okay then what does he say he says the southern slave is free too when the labors of the day are over and free in mind as well as body, for the master provides clothing, house, fuel, and everything else necessary to the physical well-being of himself and family. So this is George Fitzhugh's argument. Now, obviously, he, what, what is he saying? He's saying, you know, those working in factories, they have to pay all these bills, they have to find a place to live, so on and so on. But he's saying, but down south, the southern slaves, they're actually totally fine, right? Their master gives them everything that they need. Okay? That's what he says. He provides food, provides them a place to live. Right? They're so taken care of. In fact, just, just so that you know, we would have presidents who would make this same argument. In fact, Woodrow Wilson, our president during World War I, was known to actually have used this argument in defense of slavery. Crazy, crazy. But this is what some people really, really, truly did believe. You know, what? how do you rebut this? How do you go back at it? It's quite simple, right? You say, well, the white slave or the immigrant, they can leave. They can say, I don't want to do this. I'll find something else. Did the southern slave have that same opportunity? Well, obviously we know they did not. John C. Calhoun, okay, believed that slavery was necessary and natural. If you paid attention to the end of Amistad, that was uh, a big part of John Quincy Adams' argument. He viewed attempts at ending slavery as an attempt to destroy the economy of the South, okay? So he really, really, truly believed that if the government was trying to end slavery, get rid of slaves, what they were really trying to do was destroy the South. He, he, and he was, in his mind anyway, one of the defenders of the South. He then says that if the federal government ended slavery, Calhoun believed that the South needed to secede from the United States, okay? So, um, John C. Calhoun, he had gone to uh, college up in Connecticut, which is odd, right? Connecticut, that's north of Long Island. Um, but it was one of the only higher, higher learning universities uh, that was available and that was on his level. He was an extremely brilliant man. Um, and he had actually learned of secession first there. Remember we talked about the War of 1812 and how in New England there was talk about leaving the nation. He, he was there, he was a young man when that was talk, when that speak was, when that talk was taking place, and he really bought into it, and he ends up taking it down south, and he says, hey, 
If you're going to end slavery, then the South needs to secede. Okay, let's talk about the other side. Let's talk about those who are against slavery. We have some abolitionists here. Harriet Tubman, Johnny Brown, Denmark Vesey, Nat Turner, William Lloyd Garrison. So who are they? Well, Harriet Tubman, let's go right to her. All right, lived from 1820 to 1913. Long life. Uh, they actually just made a movie recently. I watched it over the summer called Harriet. Uh, pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. I don't know how true it is to be honest i just watched the movie i didn't do a lot of research into it but uh it was it was a pretty good movie um she had helped over 300 slaves to freedom and at the at the height of it uh there was a forty thousand dollar bounty on her head and even during the civil war she served the union as a spy now the underground railroad underground railroad is created and it was used to get slaves to escape from the south and the goal was to get them all the way north, even as far as Canada, okay? So, Underground Railroad is not actually underground. In fact, many of the build, many of the places where slaves would be hidden were in the upper areas of homes, attics, okay, things like that. So what would happen? You'd have different families who were involved. So I, right now, I'm recording this at my house. <laughs> I'm not allowed to leave. Uh, in Mauritius, okay? So... Let's say I was part of the Underground Railroad. I could take a family in, hide them in my home. Maybe a day, two days. Okay, make sure that, you know, they got a good meal, right? And then they would go to the next town. Uh, let's say the next town that they're going to travel to through the night. You know, they'd want to make some distance, about 20 miles, 25 miles. They want to get to Islip, okay? And then they'd stay in a the, in the house there. And there'd be a network of people who were involved in hiding slaves. And she helped to organize this. Underground Railroad. Next, uh, we had John Brown. Well, first let's talk about a guy named William Lloyd Garrison. So William Lloyd Garrison, he's an abolitionist, but he's a writer, okay, and a speech writer. And he creates something called The Liberator. The Liberator was a, an abolitionist newspaper. Now, remember, in the beginning of Amistad, uh, the abolitionists were in the attic of a church, even though they're in Connecticut. They were still hiding what they were doing because it was deemed illegal, all right, um, and seditious. We learned about that word earlier in the year. Sedition is to speak against the government. So William Lloyd Garrison, he is out and he doesn't care. <laughs> he's he's a little bit of a Billy Badass, okay? He is right there and he is he's writing The Liberator and he is publishing it all on his own dime. So you look at this, right? Who's this? old white man here as a as a uh, an abolitionist well a lot of abolitionists were not not black in fact they were white uh, and they felt that the institution was completely immoral it was wrong and it needed to be destroyed his way of getting the word out word can be like uh kindling to a flame to a fire right so if you can get people's thoughts to change their ideas to change who knows what could happen next so he wrote the liberator uh, he thought that slavery undermined Republican values. This whole idea, we live in a republic, representation. Well, the slaves weren't being represented. Sure, you had the three-fifths compromise, but anybody who's anybody with a mind knew that that was uh, complete hogwash and that the slaves were certainly not being represented. Uh, he said immediate man emancipation or immediate ending of slavery, freeing of slaves with no compensation so the people who owned the slaves would get nothing in return. And he said slavery was not an issue, was an issue of morality, not an issue of economics. 
and there is his liberator. Then you have John Brown. John Brown was a radical abolitionist from Massachusetts. Uh, he acted on two ill-conceived plans, okay? So uh, we're going to speak a little bit more about this when we talk about the things that lead up to the Civil War. But uh, John Brown, he's another. He is a, a, a man. And again, I don't want to give away too much because it's a good story, but better for another day. Uh, he believed, though, he had a calling from God, and his job was to free slaves. And um, in the end, he ends up getting captured. He did a raid on Harper's Ferry. His whole plan was really quite simple. And he actually draws on a plan from a man named Denmark Vesey. Denmark Vesey was a slave who had won a lottery. So in certain towns down south, in order to give slaves hope, right? I mean, how, why would somebody remain a slave if all they were going to do is work until the day they died? So they would offer lotteries where, you know, a slave uh, would be chosen, win a lottery, and they would be free. Denmark Vesey was one such man who won this lottery, and he was freed. He spent a lot of time, a lot of money, trying to free his wife and children, was never able to do so. He was eventually um, imprisoned and killed uh, for a supposed plan to do a slave uprising. Now, Denmark Vesey's plan was to arm slaves on plantations. <coughs> Excuse me. And once you arm the slaves, you would have a liberation army going from plantation to neighboring plantation, freeing slaves, killing slave owners. His plan was, you know, was found out, was snuffed out, and he was executed for it. Um, John Brown actually does this, okay? He tries to do it. He goes to Harper's Ferry, but right from the beginning, it ends up being a failure, and he is captured. That is important for the document that we're going to look at. So your, your, your assignment is, is kind of long, okay? I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's, I think, about 10 questions, but it's based off of two rather long documents. One document is the George Fitzhugh document on, uh, on, on Cannibals All. The other document is from William Lloyd Garrison. So here's what William Lloyd, we, we already read our excerpt from George Fitzhugh. So let's read our excerpt from William Lloyd Garrison. So he says, who instigated John Brown, right? So John Brown at this point, when he's giving this speech, and this is a speech, which is an answer to one of the questions you have to answer. Um, <laughs> John Brown, uh, I'm sorry, William Lloyd Garrison, he's giving a speech and John Brown, he had been captured, okay? And he was going to be executed. Um, he says, who instigated him, right? So who made him go and do this? He said, let us see. It must have been Patrick Henry who said, and he was a Virginian. Virginia is where, by the way, John Brown gets captured, okay? He says, he was a Virginian. He said, give me liberty or give me death, okay? So Patrick Henry, one of the, you know, really, I guess you could say founding fathers, uh, one of the people whose ideas really fueled the fire of a revolution to get out from control of the British Empire. Give us liberty. Give me liberty or give me death. So John Brown, right, wasn't he doing the same thing? He put his life on the line in order to get liberty or get freedom for slaves. So he says, right, here he is, right? Who, who instigated him? Patrick Henry, who was a Virginian, said, give me liberty, give me death. Why do they not dig up his bones and give them to the consuming fire to show their abhorrence of his memory, right? What a great argument. This is very similar to John Quincy Adams' argument at the end of Amistad. How can we say that Patrick Henry is a hero because, why, he did it against the British? 
but we can't look at some of these freedom fighters for slaves as heroes. It's, it, it's absolutely insane. So it must have been a, a Virginia herself who by her coat of arms, which is a terrible motto, six semper tyrannis, which means uh, basically, and so to all tyrants or death to tyrants, asserts the right of the oppressed to trample their oppressors beneath their feet, and if necessary, consign them to a bloody grave. Look at that, harsh words. William Lloyd Garrison going hard. Look at this little old man, love it. So what a great argument, right? How is it that it's okay for one group to fight for their freedom, but this other group is not? Why? Because they are providing free labor for the group who did win their freedom? It really is an absolutely brilliant uh, argument. So that is the end of the presentation. Okay. Um, as far as the uh, assignment goes, as I said, it, it is two longer documents. Okay. So I'm going to give you time to work on it. Uh, you're going to have until uh, Tuesday, all right, to finish it. So you got really six days, not not that terrible. And uh, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, anything like that, of course, as always, uh, I'm right here. Give me a call. I'll give you a call. <laughs> Send me an email. Oh, man, maybe the Rona is going straight to my brain. Send me an email, and uh, I, I'll get back to you. you know, somebody emailed me last night at about 1130, and I, I got right back to her. So, you know, every so often one does slip by because I get a lot of emails. But uh, I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. So, this is the end of our... Uh, a little potty here. The podcast potty. I hope everybody is doing well. And um, honestly, I'm looking forward to being back in school. I, being home, being stuck at home, it's not for me. It's not for me. So anyway, I miss you all. I hope you're in good health. And I look forward to seeing you. <laughs>